Hello and welcome to the latest Liverpool Blood Red podcast. It's a very special podcast uh, this week because we have with us the sports editor of the Echo, David Prentice. Does that make it special? <laughs> yes, right? it's, okay. it's always special when you're here, Preno. <laughs> also, we've got our full-time Liverpool reporter, both home and away, James Pierce, and our LFC editor, Andy Kelly. Uh, James, the main story this week has nothing to do with anything on the pitch. It's been stuff off the pitch, hasn't it? Certainly has, yeah. I think um, quite a surprise development, really, with Michael Edwards being promoted to the role of sporting director. Um, you know, it's been a, a meteoric rise for him when you think he was brought in by Damien Camoli five years ago as an analyst. Um, and since then, his, his stock has risen sharply um, with FSG. You know, he's earned the trust of the senior executives at the club. His responsibilities have grown. Obviously, he was, he was uh, head of of um, technical performance and then technical director and and now you know he, he now finds himself in a position where it's you know he's effectively the head of all football operations um so it's uh it's it's, it's interesting i think obviously it's a structure that fsg have have always wanted you know, it's, it's the one they had initially when they brought camoli in it's the one they would have turned to again um in the summer of 2012 if they hadn't been talked out of having a sporting director by brendan rogers um, and I think crucially, it's a structure that Jurgen Klopp wants. You know, it's what he always had at, at Dortmund. Um, so he, you know, he he has been very influential in Michael Edwards's appointment, and um, you know, they've had a very close working relationship over the last twelve months. And and he obviously thinks that he's he's the perfect man for the job going forward. Andy, it's fair to say there'll be a lot of supporters who'll who'll see the appointment, see the name, and go who. Is, is, is it a case, is there some journalists as well, I think, yeah, says, but is it a case of perhaps the supporters having to put their trust not only in FSG, but as James said, the fact that Jurgen Klopp's so fully behind this appointment? I think that, I think this is why the club, you know, have been so keen. Uh, they know at the moment that Klopp can do little wrong in the eyes of the supporters and, you know, that's not likely to change for a good while. And, uh, you know, if Klopp endorses this appointment, we've heard from him today at Melwood, you know, just how much... Uh, you know, he's satisfied that this is the right man for the job. Uh, that's going to carry a huge amount of weight with supporters. I mean, Michael Edwards has been generally known to supporters, those that, that do know him as a member of the, the transfer committee or the transfer team, as Liverpool like to call it these days, uh, and also has been the most shadowy member, if you like, of that team. You know, um, Dave wrote in his piece uh, today that, uh, you know, you know, you're trying to find a picture of him in Google Images. The first one that comes up is, is Eddie the Eagle Edwards. Um, so you know it's very difficult to uh, you know find um, you know pictures and this sort of thing about him. He prefers to work in the background, and you know there's no harm in that. Whether he can do that in his new role as sporting director, which obviously where you're a bit more of a figurehead for the club, um, remains to be seen. But um, yeah, you know for me. The key thing about sporting directors is are they a threat to the manager and that's why uh, England has sometimes been wary of them but I think you know as I think Preno wrote today um, this one doesn't feel like that one does it? No I think that was absolutely crucial with this because in the past you know any sporting director or director of football whatever you want to call them they tend to have aspirations you know to be managers themselves and if you think about the last time Liverpool were toying with the idea after Damien Camoli had gone I think it was Louis van Gaal's name that was mentioned uh, when Brendan Rodgers was a manager, and you can fully understand why Brendan Rodgers wouldn't live with that, because you know it would be perceived as a threat if uh, if results turned. Clearly, uh, Jurgen Klopp and Michael Edwards have a great you know working relationship. I think their offices are you know opposite each other's at Melwood, and uh, you could tell you know from Jurgen's demeanour today you know so the, the guys actually like each other. 
And I think um, he feels like he can work with him rather than having to be a little bit apprehensive. Not that you get the impression that Jürgen Klopp's ever apprehensive about anything. I mean, his, uh, his self-confidence is absolutely supreme. Uh, but they've actually had almost like a 14-month trial period whereby they found out they can work together very productively. And clearly his record has been good. I mean, you look at the fellas that have been brought in, both at the youth academy and the first team level. And uh, we've been told that you know, Michael Edwards has been responsible for a large number of them. Uh, I mean, this transfer committee thing often is a bit of a misnomer because people want accountability, who signed who. And uh, most football clubs, it can be a combination of things. Um, I mean, your Matip, for example, we were told was very much uh, down to Jurgen Klopp because he's got a personal relationship with the player. Uh, Philip Coutinho, we were told, was uh, a lot of that was down to Ian Ernest's friendship with the Inter Milan president. And likewise, uh, a number of the players that were brought in this summer because Michael Edwards had spotted the, you know, the not availability, but you know what they could bring to Liverpool Football Club. So a number of things all work together. And I think it just takes the, uh, a bit of the burden off Jurgen Klopp, somebody else that can do the negotiating, that can do the... Uh, to work away from the training ground and let him concentrate on what he's absolutely top class at, and that's getting the best out of players. It's interesting you mentioned the, the, the accountability then, because, I mean, James, you've written quite a few times in the past a story on Dick Camoli where he's said something about, like, oh, I got sat because of this, that, and the other, and then mentioned certain <laughs> players, like, was it Andy Carroll, and now he's talking about yeah. Jordan Henderson. Yeah, and every time Henderson has a decent game, he's, he's on talk sport. I mean, does that, does, does that really, does it really matter that anyone's made accountable? For these signings, yeah, well, I think I think the problem during the Brendan Rodgers years was that there was always that source of friction and murmurings of discontent, which, which you know, came from the manager at times that, that clearly players were brought in that he wasn't he wasn't convinced about, and that's not a healthy situation to have. You think you know, Mamadou Sakho was one of those, Thiago Mallory, um, you know, and there were you know there were, there were players that Rodgers was probably right to be skeptical of. Other ones where he wasn't. Someone like Roberto Firmino was clearly a a transfer committee buy, and I think I think the the refreshing thing since Klopp's come in, and certainly this summer, there was never any hint of that. Everyone knew that every single player that came in was because he wanted them. It wasn't a fudge. It wasn't that he wanted X, they wanted Y. Well, I, I tell you what, you, neither of us will have our own way. We'll go for Z instead. It was you know it was Klopp calling the shots. Other people doing their jobs around it. All the information, getting all the information together. Other people doing the negotiating. Klopp said himself today, you know, he's not interested in speaking to agents. He doesn't want to be talking about salaries or transfer fees or anything like that. He wants to leave that to someone else, but he wants to have the final say. Um, and that was, that, I think that's that's the big difference now is the fact that you know there there is no talk of who who bought who because you know, as Klopp said himself today, he said if there's one player here who you're not happy with at some point in the future. Well, I guarantee I'll be the one to blame if you want someone to blame for why that player's here. And that's absolutely right, because let's face it, who's going to get the sack if uh, those players don't perform? It's not the director of football, it's the manager. You know, So he has to have the, uh, the final say. So no matter what a sporting director does, no matter what his role is, it's absolutely vital in my mind that the manager has the final say on everything. And that, that has to be the case if a football club's going to be successful. Andy, do you feel as though... Maybe from the moment Jurgen Klopp first arrived at Liverpool, this was something he was looking at long-term, maybe putting in something like a sporting director. It's something that they've been spoke, speaking about for a while. Yeah, I mean, he worked with Michael Zork at, at Dortmund, very close uh, as he was with the with the chairman there. And, um, you know, with Klopp, everything's been build, build, build at Liverpool, hasn't he? You know, he wasn't able to do a lot of what he wanted to do last season just because every three days it was 
press conference game, post-match press conference. You know, he famously said he'd seen more of the press pack than he had of his family, and that's not a good thing. James, James. James. <laughs> so, um, you know, there wasn't time really to do a lot of things he wanted to do on the training pitch, for instance, and to get some other things. So th- this feels like, you know, you move on to the next step. And I thought what was really interesting today, um, funny, I didn't sort of notice it during the press conference, but when I read back James's story on the press conference, very interesting what Klopp was saying about putting in a structure that it, you know, that will stand after after he has gone. And now fans don't even want to contemplate at the moment the time when Jurgen Klopp's gone. But you know, we know he doesn't want to work until he's too late you know, into his years. So um, I think that's really significant. He he doesn't want the situation where the manager changes, the whole football club has to change. That's specifically what he said. He wants where the structure's there. And that there may well be loads of really good things in place that don't need to change with the manager. The manager might need to change. I think he's sort of intimated in the past that it'll always be the manager who gets sacked first. Um, so, you know, that might happen, but you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Do you know what I mean? Keep lots of the good things in place. Let the club structure keep on. I mean, you know, he talks about this wonderful club and, uh, you know, he was using that to illustrate the fact that, you know, let's not change it every four or five years. Let's... Um, Let's put something in place that will help it grow and get better. If, if you think back, I mean, when Liverpool were most successful, that was you know uh, a regiment that they had in place. I mean, the old boot room philosophy they called it, whereby it was just a natural progression. Bill Shankly retires. Well, of course, Bob Pace is going to get the job. He retires. Of course, Joe Fagan's going to get it. He goes. Of course, Roy Emmons is going to get it. It was almost like a natural progression all the way through, and it, that was something that Liverpool, I suppose, unconsciously stumbled upon back then. Nowadays, I think it's a, it's a very, very considered decision. They want to get so many various elements in place so that if worse comes to the worst, you know, the, the upheaval is not quite so dramatic. I mean, I was going to mention that, that quote, actually, Andy, because I, I saw that as well and thought that was quite interesting because you look at what Jurgen Klopp's trying to achieve and it's a little bit like Gerard Houllier, in a way, and Rafa Benitez to a, to a lesser extent. They were always thinking long-term, whereas maybe Roy Hodgson never had a chance and... Kenny Dalglish was always second time round. Was always short term. Well, exactly. <laughs> well, even even, <laughs> Brent, even Brendan Rodgers wasn't really thinking massively ahead, was he? No, I mean, with Brendan, it always felt like you know it, he was always fighting a battle to justify the fact he was in the role and that his team needed to do that. And he he sort of you could imagine say things had been different and and that the end to that 2013-14 season had produced the title then he would have had the base and the the mandate if you like to go forward and instigate potentially a sort of an Anfield or an Melwood that that is a sort of you know a Brendan Rodgers type of scenario um and and change the club that way what what we're seeing now is that that the club is is getting a sort of a Jurgen Klopp way, um, you know, him as the manager with a sporting director, and that ties in very well with what FSG want. I mean, I, you know, when I was thinking about the, the pair of them working together, you know, Klopp is this, we all know, this ridiculously charismatic public figure, you know, funny, loud, um, you know, just dripping in charisma, isn't he? Michael Edwards is, you know, a quiet, sort of unassuming chap who obviously does... Uh, you know, loads of good work in terms of data, stats, information, gatherer, you know, all these things, analysis. These are all the things that Jurgen Klopp wants and needs, but um, would like probably somebody else to be staring at the laptop or dissecting the video for him. So they could work brilliantly well. If you can imagine the opposite of that, another 
you know, big figure from football or another charismatic figure brought in a sporting director, harks back to what we were mentioning before. A, I don't think so much a threat to Jurgen Klopp, because Dave says I don't think he sees life that way. But it just could have been a personality clash. Whereas I think now, you know, Klopp's is sort of still sort of, you know, the whole club has a sort of Klopp feel to it, but you've got someone there giving him a load of support. And that, you know, the more time he has available for football, and I think we're all seeing the, you know, the benefits of that from what we're seeing this season. James, I was going to mention that, you know, as Andy's just said, then it's kind of got a Klopp feel about it. He's only been there for 13 months, hasn't he? You never got the impression that, as we just touched on then, that Liverpool had a, a Brendan Rodgers feel about it. But just the fact that this decision's been made within you know a, a year of it being there and he's, he's, he's having such a great influence on the, the makeup of the way the club is, does that remind just how important he's seen by, by FSG? Yeah, I think so. I think because you know, I think, and, and that comes from just the huge impact that he's made in, in every area of the club. I think you know he's earned that trust and that degree of authority and power that maybe Brendan Rodgers didn't have before. Because you know, I think they FSG knew they were getting a class act, but I don't think they properly knew just how good he was until they got him through the door. And you know, that was why that what was it? You know, he only arrived in in the October and in the January they were already. You know, putting a new contract under his nose and desperately trying to get him tied down because they knew they were onto a very good thing here. So it's it's a no-brainer, really. That you know, Klopp certainly has a much greater degree of authority throughout the club than I think Rogers had. Um, you know, he, he he is running the show, and this doesn't change that. This is all about, if anything, easing the burden on him. You know, things that he doesn't want to be wasting his time doing. Um, it means that Edwards will take that off his off his shoulders, and he you know he's got more time focused on what he needs to be doing, which is working with his players on the training ground and and hatching plans for for matches with his with his staff. I think the other interesting thing with this is obviously it's a departure from the way Liverpool approach things with with the CEO. With obviously until now, Ian Eyre has obviously been the key figure with transfer negotiations and, and contract renewals with players. And that's obviously changing now. Edwards has, has got sole control now from today, basically dealing with clubs. So I think that will be interesting. You know, that again will have an impact on on Liverpool's ongoing global pursuit of the new CEO, which um, which you know they, they're, obviously they're looking for a replacement for Air, who will depart at the end of the season. But you know, you certainly with with the way that they've restructured it, you'd expect now that CEO role to be more of a a business commercial side rather than a rather than the football side, which is. You know, been been a lot of um, you know a, a big degree of airs work until now. Andy, for actual for Michael Edwards himself, is this going to be seem much different to his day to day job? Is it, is it going to be much much different to what he's been doing already? Because he's been involved, hasn't he, in the transfer committee for a while now? And I think it was was it Firmino that he was a, a driving force behind his transfer. Yeah, he was heavily involved. Now he he actually has taken the lead on on, on some transfers. We understand. Um, been no specifics on on which ones particularly, but he's certainly been assisting Air throughout negotiations over the last twelve to eighteen months. We understand, so not just the sort of technical identification of players to put on the list and put before the manager, but you know, getting out there, um, negotiating with agents and all that sort of dirty work. I mean, who wants to really d- discuss contract terms with agents? You know, Jurgen Klopp's keeping that at well at arm's length and good on him, I would suggest. Um, so um, it's interesting I mean one of the things that we were thinking along the lines of was does this shed any more light on, on Ian Eyre and, and what was happening with his position in the sense that the view was that Ian Eyre was retiring at the end of the season then came the uh, oh no he's off to 
Bundesliga 2 with the um, 1860, 1860 Munich. Munich, yeah. So the you know, and the fact that while air is still there uh, and has you know still another seven, six or seven months left on on his contract, yet Michael Edwards is instantly from today running uh, contract negotiation on transfers. Uh, you wonder whether that was a situation that was coming in, and perhaps he and Air decided that uh, you know that, that that was the time for him to. You know, call his Liverpool career to an end. Who knows? We don't. We don't know for sure. Um, but what we do know, I think, is that whatever happens to Michael Edwards at Liverpool, um, for me, it's what he does in terms of transfers which will define whether he's a success in the eyes of the supporters. Because there'll be loads of work he does behind the scenes, loads of stuff he puts in front of Jurgen Klopp. And to be honest, most of that work, you know, is just stuff that supporters can't and don't know about. And uh, but what they do know is who he brings into the club. And perhaps significantly, who he might miss out on, which is uh, which is something that uh, you know Piercy and I were discussing earlier, and uh, probably the ones he misses is probably just as important as the one he gets. Piercy, isn't it? I think. Yeah, especially when you think you know that's been a it was always thrown at ENL, wasn't it? In the last probably four or five years, you know, high-profile ones where where people were disappointed to miss out on. You think of Mkhitaryan and and Costa and William and Konoplyanka, um, you know, and, and each of those situations were all very, very different and some of them were, you know, incredibly problematic for Liverpool to get it over the line. But, you know, that, that is, as Andy said, that is exactly how Michael Edwards would be judged. Fair enough, for the, for the, sorry, for the, for the what are you going to say? No, I was going to say, I mean, what will change? I mean, I think his role will remain the same, but the level of expectation is now enormous and his profile, people know who he is now. Uh, he's, he's got a face, you know, when you see the uh, director shuffling into the main stand uh, on a match day, people will be looking out for him now and will know what he looks like. And so it does place, I would say, a burden of expectation on him. And, you know, that, that he will be judged by those results. Uh, but, you know, FSG clearly think that he's capable of dealing with that. Uh, what he's achieved in the last uh, five years or so uh, has obviously given him the ability to, or given him the opportunity to show that you can live up to that. Are these the kind of roles that perhaps intrigue supporters more than anything else, though? Because they see, like, the manager, they know what the manager does, they know what the player does, they kind of work out what the chairman does or the owner, yeah. but then you've got the likes of the sporting director and you hear the stories of the transfer committee and they're thinking, well, what's actually going on? Is that why they'll, as you just said, then they'll take much more of an interest in him now, won't they? Exactly, because it's the mystery that surrounds those those roles. I mean, you know what the manager does? You know, you actually see him every match day, you know, uh, directing operations from the sidelines. He explains his decisions uh, at pre-match press conferences and post-match press conferences. So there's, you know, uh, a visibility of what he's doing, whereas the stuff behind the scenes you don't know about. And it's why here, you know, any stories that we put up about, uh, you know, people... Uh, below the manager's role at the football club, uh, absolutely, you know, voraciously devoured because people, you know, want to know more about the minutiae of the running of a football club. And when you've got the authority to actually decide who's coming into the football club, which players are going to be signed, that's a massive amount of responsibility. So yeah, people are very, very interested in that, and uh, people won't be able to get enough of Michael Edwards over the next uh, few weeks. They want to know everything, <laughs> you know, about you know, even you know, talk about uh, his football career. I mean, I didn't know he was a he was a former footballer until until this morning, and uh, realised he was uh, he played for Peterborough Reserves, I think it was. And people are going to want to know a little bit about that, you know, because. There's always been a suspicion about the um, guys that are hold director of football roles that haven't had a background in football, uh, that perceived as being you know these these school teacher types that do all their work on laptops and uh, on graphs and charts and things and don't have the day to day experience of what happens in a football uh, 
club. And I think the fact that he has been a footballer, okay, he didn't make any, you know, sort of great grades, but he has actually been in football dressing rooms. He knows what goes on. Very similar to Mourinho in that respect. You know, he was always regarded as, you know, the, the school teacher type. But, you know, the fact that he has been in dressing rooms, he doesn't know what goes on, I think will work in his favour. But uh, to answer the original question, yeah, people won't be able to get enough of, uh, you know, sort of, his background, what he's done, and what he is going to be doing in the near future. So, James, they'll all be looking out for for Michael Edwards in the in the director's box on Sunday, but then they'll turn around and see what's going on on the pitch. And so, what are you expecting from from the Watford game the weekend? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think they'll come and make it pretty difficult. I think Klopp touched upon it earlier, just how tight they've been defensively this season. Um, you know, I think they've surpassed all expectations. Watford, I think, probably pre-season people were looking at it and looking at the the turmoil and the change they've been there and, and kind of pinpointed them as one of the clubs who would probably be facing a relegation battle but certainly hasn't started off like that. Obviously in Dini and Igarlo, they've got two two strikers who Liverpool know all about, you know, the, the, the dangers they can pose. They absolutely tormented Liverpool in that game down at Vicarage Road um, last December. I think Liverpool are a very different team now. I mean that that day Liverpool got absolutely bullied um right the way through the team, uh, completely outfought in every department. And I don't think, you know, that I don't think it's possible to do this, do that to this Liverpool team now. I think um, the way they've come through those recent tests against, you know, against Palace and West Brom proves that. Um, you know, I think for Klopp it will just be a case of saying you know, more of the same. You know, that outstanding home record. I think it's 18 games unbeaten at Anfield. You know, it is starting to be turned back into a fortress again, and just need to keep that going. I think, you know, team-wise, I think obviously Milner will come back in for Moreno. I think that's a no-brainer. Despite Moreno doing okay at Sellers Park, you know I, th- I still think Milner is the much better bet, much better all-round performer. Um, and then I think the other intriguing one will be whether he sticks with Emery Chan or brings back Wijnaldum. I think Chan got the nod against Palace because of that extra physical presence. Um, whether Wijnaldum's probably more greater athleticism and, and creativity might might get him the nod. Uh, it'd be interesting to see, but I think apart from that, it's it's all pretty settled. I mean, I'd stick with Chan, which. As regulars will know, probably surprised that I should say that. But Andy, what do you think? Do you think it's the game for Chan? Because if you look at it, Liverpool have played now. This will be Watford. They'll have previously played Crystal Palace, West Brom, and the way they played Manchester United, they've all kind of played the same kind of game. You know, long ball, quite physical, aimed to you know profit set pieces. Yeah, I mean to be honest, I would say the f- the fewer changes you need to make to the team at the moment, the better. You should just keep with you know. It's not as if they've had many games. You know, uh, the game, the extra game they had in the EFL Cup, he made 11 changes. So, um, you know, for me, you play what you played at Palace uh, last week, but you, uh, as Jim says, you know, Milner is, is an obvious one to come back in. And really, why why change the rest of it? I mean, you'd probably expect that Wijnaldum would get a good half hour at some stage. Potentially, if things aren't going great, you've got Sturridge and Origi to come in off the bench. I mean, the bench looks fantastic at the moment, do you know what I mean? Because, um, you know, and this is this is a sign of a healthy club. I mean, apart from poor old Danny Ings, you know, who obviously was playing most of his football for the under 23s, was just about to get that break back into, you know, obviously had come on against Tottenham. You'd expect he would have been going on to first team benches, and uh, you know, if he'd scored a couple of goals, then he could have held on to potentially a place. But um, you know, apart from that, the rest of the club is healthy in every way, and so you know, touch wood, and we obviously don't want to jinx it. Um, but you know, there's no major injury problems apart from Danny Ings, and uh, um, you know, keep going as you are. Uh, I've lost count of how many people 
uh, this week have said to me, I can't remember that Watford game at Anfield last season <laughs> um, because it was one of those nothing games. It was a classic, I think, 2-0. 2-0. 2-0. Yeah. Regulation. I think it was a Sunday. Joe yeah. Allen scored. We all, yeah. we all miss Joe Allen. <laughs> Stroll. Whatever happens Stroll to him. Yeah, whatever happens to him. Um, I'm sure we'll see him appear on your Twitter feed at yes. some stage, Ian. But um, yeah, but obviously everyone remembers the game down at Vickery's Road. So it's um, the the question is which what type of scenario unfolds, and uh, yeah, I think it's probably quite good for Liverpool that Watford are doing relatively well and. And uh, you know aren't fighting for their lives down at the bottom this early. So you know I don't think they're going to be in any bother this year. They've got people who can score goals, and that's what keeps you out of that area. I think. Well, Preno, Watford are above United in the table, and after ten games, they'd have taken that, wouldn't they? They're playing some really good stuff. Uh, I mean, I think this afternoon, Choydini, it's either Choydini or Ricardo, I think, actually said they're preparing for war, uh, which sounds a bit provocative, but. Um, <laughs> Is that in the Daily Mail? It, 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 it suggests that they're going to come to Anfield and, and dig in. You know, they're, they're going to have a go. They're going to try and be physical, uh, which they do very well. Um, but they'll have to be very, very physical if they're going to prevent this Liverpool team from you know, pressing the life out of them, which they've done so successfully in literally every home game this season. Even the United game, which they didn't win. You know, it was, uh, you know, they were much the better team. So uh, I think confidence is absolutely sky high at the moment. Um, the... The fact that Jurgen Klopp is able to work with the team in the week leading up to matches now, rather than having to worry about you know Europa League football, is being massively influential. And uh, I'm expecting to see another you know sort of high intensity performance from Liverpool that I don't think Watford will be able to live with. James, one final thing: Have you got any thoughts on Raymond the fitness egg? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? No, I don't think we should give him. It's, well, it's not pan- it's not pancake chooses. It's a no, no, so. no, no. no he, I mean, he he just he lives off, doesn't he? Slagging off Klopp at least two or three times a week just to just to keep his profile high. Why but, is um, that, Andy? Why is that? What's he done? What do you reckon he's done? <sighs> Who knows? If they've had a uh, they had some form of a, a falling out way back in the past, I think, didn't they? And yeah, he just you know the oxygen of publicity for him is yeah. the problem is. Um, you know, we put we put the latest pancake show on on our website, and it was instantly the top story on the site. People are reading it, people are interested in it, so that means we we're interested in it. And as long as you know he's getting the media coverage, our Raymonds um, will keep saying his things as long as we're laughing at him rather than yeah. with him. He's almost like he's become the 2016 version of Aidy Ward. <laughs> <laughs> and on that bombshell, we shall uh, that shall do us, and we'll join us next time, hopefully for. A, I've been talking about a Liverpool win. Cheerio.